Welcome back, Miss Yo family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how God is good so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, good morning, and welcome to Winter Wonderland Day. Uh, I was surprised to see snow coming down, as maybe you were. Uh, but it's just our reminder that we live in North Dakota, and it's not quite summer yet. So here we are, and it's melting. So it's a, it's a good day, though. We're having a family meal after this. I don't know if you're aware of that, but after the service, we're going to clear this room, bring out some tables, and we hope that you'll stick around with us and share a meal. It's a great time just to kind of get to know each other. It's one of our values as a church is that we are family. So I'm really enjoying the series that we're in. We started this last week. It's called The Four G's. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I know the impact it's had on my own life. Like these four eternal truths about God, how when we apply them to our day-to-day living, it changes everything. So I'm excited for you guys. I hope that you will find these to be as impactful as I've found in my life. And we just want to give credit to Tim Chester. He's a guy, a theologian, who wrote a book with these four Gs. It's kind of where we jump off, get this idea. Um, And so he basically took these truths, four eternal truths about God that are found all throughout Scripture and made them into these little statements. And so the one last week we talked about uh, one that was God is great. So anybody remember? I don't have to be in control right? God is great, so I don't have to be in control. And today we're talking about God is good, the next G of of the four Gs. So we're going to unpack this in a minute. But we all live by a set of beliefs. We live, we believe things and it affects the way that we live our lives. Some of those things we're very much aware of, like, oh, I don't uh, eat processed foods or I don't like sugar. And so we don't eat that. We know that that's a value or a belief that we have. Other things are a little bit more below the surface, like we're operating out of things that we believe to be true. I was having a conversation with somebody last week after service, and uh, we were kind of just joking about this, and, and he reminded me of like some things that we maybe bought into when we were kids that are, uh, well, see if you guys remember this. After eating, you can't go swimming for 30 minutes. We all know this, Right? Or, or what about, uh, and by the way, I looked this up online, no truth. You can go swimming right away. So if you eat after we're done eating here today, if you want to go jump in a swimming pool, you are free to do that. I don't know if we thought you were going to cramp up and drown or what was going to happen, but uh, you can swim right away. That's a myth. Or how about this one? If you swallow gum, it'll stay in your stomach for, how do you guys all know this? Seven years. Like it's just in there? Like what, what's going on? Also not true, looked it up, and it's gone within like 30 to 120 minutes, like just out of your system. So you can knock yourself out. If you want to go eat a whole pack of gum after this, do it, okay? Not true, but yet whole, like we all know this. We've just like, oh yeah, I just ate it, better not go swimming, or I ate some gum, it's going to be in there a long time, and it's just not true. So what we believe, sometimes we bought into things that aren't necessarily accurate, Uh, And this is true for us with our spiritual lives. We can start to believe things about ourselves or about God that aren't true and they shape our behaviors, right? Oftentimes we get caught in patterns of sin and we can't understand why we don't break out of it, 
But we never really slow down enough to say, well, what's really behind that sin? Why am I stuck in this habit? Why am I doing this over and over? Well, it's because we're believing something that isn't true and it's shaping behaviors. We talked about this last week. Not everything we believe is true. And so much of discipleship, if we want to grow and and become more a disciple of Jesus, so much of it is replacing lies with truth. Taking things that are not true about God and putting them aside and going to God's word and saying, what does it actually say? And how do I let this sink deep into my heart so that it impacts the way that I live my day-to-day life? See, when uh, when we sin, it's a response to a belief that we have in our heart. Our hearts direct the course of our lives. We talked about that last week as well. See, true beliefs bring obedience to God. False beliefs bring disobedience to God or what we would call sin. So we talked about the first G last week. God is great. I don't have to be in control. He's sovereign. I don't have to try to be God. I I make a lousy God. I'm not very good at it. And and so that's good news for us is that we can let God, the one who breathed the stars into, into existence, the one who made creation and sustains it all, let's just let him be in control. That's good news for us. And today, the second G is that um, God is good, so I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. God is good. So we say, okay, well, God is good. What does that mean? We say a lot of things are good. That's a word we use all the time. And so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. What, is, what does it mean that God is good? Well, theologian James Bryan Smith defines goodness as this, that which works for the benefit or betterment of another. That which is good makes us better, heals us, restores us, improves us, strengthens us, and makes it right. So the opposite of good is bad. We know what bad is. Pretty simple, right? But there are all kinds of scripture throughout the Bible that talk about God's goodness. Here are just a couple of them. First Chronicles 16, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34. And I was kind of just playing around with this this week thinking like, what is God's goodness? I thought, well, what if we just took that word good out of the verse and put a different word in there? How does it change? Give thanks to the Lord for he is average. Give thanks to the Lord. He's okay. It doesn't really have the same punch, does it? Taste and see that the Lord is harsh. Taste and see that the Lord is cruel. Like, see, you, you kind of contrast that. No, God is good. And his goodness, we know that goodness is something that we are drawn to. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, there it is again, And his love is eternal. His faithfulness endures through all generations. So if you went through the whole Bible and looked at every reference to God's goodness, we'd be here a long time. There are a ton of scripture references to God's goodness all throughout scripture. It's almost like he said it a lot because he meant it or that he wanted us to know, right? It's there. And and we can rest in his goodness. It says from generation to, to generation. So in one generation, God is good. And in the next generation, God is good. And then in the next generation, God is good. And so when we have things happen in our lives that question God's goodness, we look to his word, he says, no, from generation to generation, he has not changed. I'm so glad that God doesn't change. 
that God stays the same. From, from age to age, he is the same. It's his character. It's his nature. God is good. So when life doesn't make sense, and think back to the story of Job, doesn't mean that God has changed. His character, he is still good. And we can think of God's goodness in two ways. It's his character. It's who he is. So he's good in his essence, but he's also good in what he does, in his actions. Psalm 119 shows us this. You are good, and what you do is good. So God is good, and he always does what is good. His being informs his doing, right? So that's the first part. God is good, so what? So I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. Let's talk about that. Um, We're going to talk about satisfaction and where we find it. But before we do, I want to read a story from Scripture. If you have a Bible and you want to go to John chapter 4, this is um, the story of the woman at the well. We know this well if you've grown up in the church. It's a very familiar story. And there's many layers to this. But I, I want us to look at how this woman tried to find satisfaction. So let's go to verse 7, John 4, 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I know that was kind of a long story, but it's so good. And I love it because Jesus goes and meets with this woman. If you know a little bit about Um, Jewish history, you know that this is not something normal. Like um, oftentimes Jews, when they were going to Galilee, they would bypass Samaria. They didn't want to go through it. Samaritans were half-breeds. They they didn't want to be around the Samaritans. They were unclean. And so for a Jew to go right through Samaria was kind of unusual. That's what Jesus did. 
goes to the well, sees a woman, a Samaritan woman, very uh, uncultural for a Jewish rabbi to sit down with a Samaritan woman and have a conversation. So he's already broke all the uh, cultural norms there. And he begins to talk to her. She's there in the middle of the day. That's kind of weird. It's not the time of day that they usually went to draw water. This woman probably had some shame from her past. And Jesus starts talking to her about water. He says, hey, you see this well and and you're thirsty, and, she, and she's like, well, you don't, have a, you don't have a bucket, Jesus. How are you going to get water? And so she's talking about literal water coming from the well, and Jesus is talking about something spiritual. He's saying, what you thirst for, I can give you. It's a spiritual thirst that's coming from your soul. He's telling her that she was really thirsty for, it was not a, a physical thirst, but a spiritual thirst. Her soul was longing for Jesus. She just didn't know it. She didn't know what she had longed for. She was still thinking that, uh, you know, she said, give me water so I don't have to keep coming back here. Like, she didn't quite get it. So Jesus goes after the heart. We, we often talk about what's the thing behind the thing, like what's truly going on. So Jesus starts addressing her heart, and, and Jesus says, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, eh, don't, don't have a husband. Yeah, you've got five of them. You've had five of them. And so what he's addressing here with this husband issue is he's saying, lady, you have been looking for long, the longing of your soul. You've been trying to fill that with love. You've been trying to fill that with, with all these husbands and you've, you've married five times and it just hasn't worked out for you. Jesus says, what I have to offer you is eternal life. I have something spiritual to offer you and I'm right here. Jesus was sitting right across from this woman and offering her what her heart truly longed for, the living water that Jesus had to give. She tries to change the subject, talking about worship and Jerusalem, and, and Jesus is like, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not about locations. It's not about uh, all this. The Father wants people who will worship in spirit and in truth. Well, that's what Jesus was trying to get at her heart. So you, you, you're longing after these men, and you're looking for all this affirmation. He says, I want a relationship with you. The Father wants to know you. He wants a relationship. Worship him in spirit and in truth. So like the water that she was going after just left her thirsty. She would drink, left her thirsty. Jesus said, that's what your spiritual life is like. And I wonder if we ever do that. Do we ever run after things in life and we expect them to fulfill us? And maybe they do for a temporary amount of time, but then we're like, ah, oh, I'm thirsty again. My soul really needs something else needs something deep within me. So there may be a moment of refreshment or pleasure, but we're soon thirsty again. Uh, I think one of the ways that we do this commonly is through material possessions. Anybody ever done this? Like, man, if I just had that one thing, my life would be good. It'd be really good, you know? Like, uh, and for me, I'm a, I'm a musician. I'm a guitar player, and I've had guitars over the years, and everyone's got a little bit different sound and feel and uh, I've got a, a Taylor acoustic and a Larave, and I love those guitars. But about five years ago, a friend of mine borrowed, one of mine was in the shop, and he borrowed me his Martin D28. And I played on this thing, and I'm like, oh, I need a Martin D28. Then all my wildest dreams will come true if I get this guitar. But they're expensive. And I, so I just kind of waited around, watched, and, and, and one came for sale online about three years ago. And I went and I bought this guitar, and it was my dream guitar because not only was it a Martin D28, it was sunburst finish, which is what I wanted, 
And it's 1974, so it's vintage, right? It's aged. It's like old wine is better or something. Like old guitars are better. They age. The wood gets better and the tone. And this is it. This is the guitar that I bought. It's got some little bit of scuffs on it and stuff, a little bit of character. But I got this guitar and I played it and I thought, that's pretty good, but uh, all my wildest dreams have not come true. Didn't make me a better guitar player either. And I realized that I had put up, my heart had gone after this, and I thought, oh, if I just have it, I'll be fulfilled. But I wasn't. And the crazy thing is, God allowed me to have this, even though I had idolized this guitar. And now I just, now it's just an instrument. I still have it, still play it, still enjoy it. But I've, I realized that it didn't fulfill me the way that I thought it would. And we do this all the time with stuff. We think, man, that thing's just going to fulfill me. But every time we look to God to satisfy our longings, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Every time we look elsewhere, we commit idolatry. We're looking for something else to fill that deep recess of our heart. I want to pause here for a couple questions of discussion and interact with you guys a little bit. The first one is this. What was something that you wanted so bad that it promised to make you happy but then when you got it, it ended up not really delivering, like my guitar. Like, have you guys had something like that where you thought, oh, if I just had that thing, oh yeah. What was it for you? A pickup. A pickup? Turned out to be a money pit. Money pit. <laughs> Dang it, huh? By the way, what kind of pickup was it? Silverado. What year? 2003. 2003 Silverado turned into a money pit. Hmm. Anyone else? A drone? Shoot. Dang. Yeah. Anyone else? Someone last service said an iPhone 5. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> Talk about vintage, right? Anybody else? Something that you promised. You got one back there? He's pointing. Her? Oh! We're going to set up some counseling after this. We're gonna... <laughs> oh. The second question, can you describe the difference between having things and having idols? What's the difference between having things and having idols? Your heart, where your heart is set? What do you mean by that? Well, is it set on the thing? Or is it set on God and the things are being used for his glory? Yeah. So, yeah, the heart. The heart, where's the heart at? Yeah, it's, and that's a subtle shift, isn't it? It, it, it can go, you know, yeah. I know, I got one right over here. <laughs> Not an idol anymore, but it sure was for a while. And that's what I want to talk about next is real life idols. Like, let's make this as practical as we possibly can because we say, well, God is good. He wants me to be satisfied in him. But we do still find satisfaction in other things in life. And they're not all bad, right? Like, eat a good meal. Hopefully after this, we'll have a good meal. You'll be satisfied in that. Uh, you know, your, your job, you do something, you accomplish something, finish a project, you can be satisfied in that. It's not bad. 
Your kids, you know, do something great and be satisfied. Your sports team wins the big game. I mean, these aren't evil, bad things. But God wants us to be ultimately satisfied in Him. But oftentimes I think we, we start to think that the Christian life, we're meant to just be miserable. Like, we can't enjoy anything in life and everything's bad and, you know, we kind of swing the pendulum too far. See, God is not against us having good experiences in this life. He's not called us to be miserable people. Like, He hasn't called us to just be completely miserable and if you do that, then you're really getting it done for Jesus. No, Um, Tim Chester in his book, he said this, it's easy for us to think of obedience as the price we pay for entry into heaven. It would be better for us, we suppose, to be living for pleasure, but as Christians, we have to live for God. But the life of obedience is not the bad or sad life, it's the good life. Life with God and for God is the best life you could live. Change is about enjoying the freedom from sin and delight in God that God gives us through Jesus. So it's not a matter of just abstaining from all pleasure, but it's a matter of saying, no, God has invited us into the best life that we could give. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Think of money. Like we all live in a world where you need money. You, you, you have to buy things. You have to get your you know, place of shelter. You have to buy clothes and food and transportation. And we earn money. We have money. We make money, whatever. It's, it's just part of the world that we live in. And it's not a bad thing to work hard and to you know, save for retirement or be financially stable. Those aren't bad things. But then the heart, you know, we talked about the heart, that can subtly shift into, well, I just need more. If I just had a little more money, then I'd be satisfied. If I just had what so-and-so has, then I'd be satisfied. Well, then it turns into greed and lust. You see the difference there? Like having money, money isn't an evil thing. Like money does ministry all over the world. Like the gospel goes out with dollars behind it. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? The Bible teaches that loving money, again, it's the heart posture towards us. Money's not evil in and of itself, but it's what our hearts do to get it. Another one would be love. We're created to know love, to be in love with other people, whether it's a, a, you know, a parent child relationship or a husband and wife relationship, a friendship relationship, relationship with God, we are designed beings to experience love. We need love. It's part of who we are. But we can idolize love too. Think of the woman at the well. That's what she had done. She was running after satisfaction in love, looking for love in all the wrong places, and it wasn't satisfying her. So we can desire intimacy or a spouse or some kind of a relationship. That's not bad. But it's again, where is our heart? Are we, are we looking for our true satisfaction in another person? We can idolize somebody else, can't we? Every longing in us is a version of our longing for God. The longing may be distorted, but it's still a longing for the God that we were made to know. So all of the longings of our hearts are really for God, but we just kind of try to fill them with other things. God alone satisfies. He is the source of all true and lasting goodness and joy. Two more questions for discussion before we close. Well, the first one is this. Why do we sometimes struggle to believe that God is good all the time? By the way, do you guys remember this? 
God is good all the time. Right? Like we've all probably heard that somewhere. And it's true. I mean, it's kind of a silly little, you know, interchange, but it's a true statement. Why do we struggle to believe that God is good all the time? Yeah. Sometimes he allows suffering. Yeah, and then what do we believe when we go through suffering? Forgot about us. Yeah, we think, oh, God's checked out on me, even though he's drawing us closer to him. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? Do we get mixed messaging on this ever from the world? I think the world sees it as God punishing us Hmm. for sin sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we might have a very you know, simplistic view that, hey, if I'm going through bad things, I'm being punished for my sin. Because we talked about that in Job quite a bit. And it's not always the way things are. We don't have full perspective, right? As a believer, we have, a, we have to trust in God. Again, he's great. He's in control. Second question is this. If God is good and we don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere, how does this apply to our daily lives? Can you think of just practically how might you apply this truth if God is good and I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. We have Yeah, God is with us. He's with us through whatever we go through. Hmm. So if, if God is good and he's there and we want to be satisfied, what might we turn to? Other things? But if we remember that he's our satisfaction, then we can say no to temptation, right? We can be content in the realities of who God says he is, right? Any other thoughts? Maybe a very specific one, like, hey, I need to buy this pickup. <laughs> Can you think of a specific application of this just in, a, in your day-to-day life? Things that are going to last, things that are temporary, yeah. Like, yeah. That's very true. Yeah, finding things that are lasting, they, they come from God, you know, and the things of this world are temporary. So we can't, we have to remember that we do operate out of what we believe, but we, we can't buy into the lie that sin offers more than God. It's a mirage, it's a scam. Like we have a spiritual enemy who wants us to believe that we can find more satisfaction in this thing, in this experience, in this substance, in this whatever. Sin offers something that it can't deliver on, and it's a lie. And we have to remember that. And that's why we have these statements because we can preach the gospel to ourselves, to our own hearts and to others. Man, I'm being tempted in this area. I'm being drawn to this thing or this experience or this sin and it's offering me something of a release or a pleasure and man, God is good. I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. Just remember that and we can, we can share that with one another. I think back to the woman at the well and she was 
wanting to draw water. And Jesus says, hey, you're always thirsty. You might be quenched for a while, but you're thirsty again. I give you living water. And it'll fill your soul. And that's what our souls really long for is Jesus. He's right there in front of us saying, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'll offer you everything that your heart needs. So I just ask us today, what are, what are the wells that you're drawing water from? What are those things you're looking to for fulfillment, for pleasure, for satisfaction? And, and you keep just going back and you go back and you go back again and again. And Jesus is inviting us to a better way. He's saying, come to me. I offer you what your heart truly needs. Don't believe the lie that that other thing is going to satisfy you, fulfill you. It's an illusion. We have the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word, you, the story even of the woman at the well, and Lord, the picture that we have of that. God, forgive us when we long for things that are sinful, things that are lies, and sometimes they're not even bad things in and of themselves, but we idolize things we shouldn't. And our hearts run after things that make promises they can't keep material things. And Lord, um, we know that you're the thing, you're the true source of life that our hearts desire. And so we align with that truth today and we say, Lord, you are good. God, you are good and my heart doesn't need to look for satisfaction elsewhere. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Freedom from sinful patterns does not come by trying harder, but by believing better. True beliefs bring obedience to God. False beliefs bring disobedience to God, otherwise known as sin. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. God is good. That which works for the benefit or betterment of another that which is good makes us better, heals us, restores us, improves us, strengthens us, and makes us right. When we think of God's goodness, we can think of it in two ways. One has to do with his character, the other focuses on his actions. God is good, and he always does what is good. His being informs his doing. I don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. Jesus told the woman at the well that what she really was thirsty for was not a physical thirst, but a spiritual thirst. There may be a moment of refreshment or pleasure, but you'll soon be thirsty again. Every time we look to God to satisfy our longings, we worship Him in spirit and truth. Every time we look elsewhere, we commit idolatry. Discussion questions. What was something you wanted so bad that promised to make you happy, but ended up not delivering after you got it? Can you describe the difference between having things and having idols? Why do we sometimes struggle to believe that God is good all the time? 
If God is good, we don't have to look for satisfaction elsewhere. How might this apply to your daily life? Thanks again for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.